Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. Hi, this is Bill Smitrovich. Lieutenant Bob Letcher on Millennium. And you're listening to... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The time is now. Welcome to The Time Is Now, a podcast all about the TV series Millennium for the We Made This Podcast Network. Soylent Green is people. I'm your host, Tony Black, and following from our episode with Dan Owen on Virtual Season 4, in this bonus outing we'll be talking the follow-up, my own Virtual Season 5. Co-written in 2007, almost a decade after VS4, this fan-written season of Millennium sees Frank Black after the year 2000, having retired and living what appears to be a relatively peaceful life with his teenage daughter Jordan. After a series of brutal murders which echo the Frenchman case from Seattle in 1996, Frank is called back in by the FBI and young agent Brad Locke to investigate and inevitably comes to realise that the Millennium Group still exists and even in the 21st century they are still a force to be reckoned with. And joining me to talk about this is uh, my co-writer and developer of VS5, uh, and the eventual solo showrunner, James Jordan. And this is a real reunion for us, isn't it? <laughs> After all these years. It really is. It's been such a long time and we never really communicated except for on the internet back in yeah. those days. So it's really great to be actually talking to you for real. Yeah, ditto. For sure, yeah. It's it's a real pleasure. And, uh, I mean, we'll get into it, but it, it, we were just saying off mic, it feels like a different lifetime because this was nearly 15 years ago so 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 the world has changed a hell of a lot in that time but it's really nice to reconnect and 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 have a little look back at this so this must be a bit of a trip down memory lane for you yeah absolutely i'm trying to rack my brains making sure i can remember 
all the details but but you're right it does feel like a lifetime ago really <laughs> yeah really does but we'll get to that before we do it let's um let's do the uh the, the well-known on the time is now the five group initiation questions with you um and th- these these answers will be good so uh let, let's do it i probably know some of this but it's been a bit bit of a while so it will be fresh to me so when did you first discover millennium james well, I actually had a slightly circuitous route to Millennium because um, back when it was first broadcasting in sort of 96, 97 season, um, I was really far too young to be watching it. Um, and I was somehow <laughs> aware of it because I was a fan of The X-Files. And I kind of knew that there's this new show from Chris Carter, you know, the creator of The X-Files, was all the media buzz about it. And I kind of knew that it was this more mature, sort of darker uh, more intense sort of adult show, the kind of the grown-up cousin to the X-Files. And I kind of knew that I wasn't really going to be allowed to watch it, and right, rightly so in retrospect. Um, in fact, I, I kind of distinctly remember being in uh, the supermarket uh, back, years back in the days when you know your parents would drag you along to the supermarket because you were too young to be left home alone. And <laughs> I would kind of kill time in the home media section uh, sort of browsing all the VHS tapes and CDs and things because did I mention this is the nineties? <laughs> so, Showing so your age. Kind of, yeah, right. Yeah. But um, I remember seeing the uh, the VHS tape for the pilot and Gehenna, and kind of reading the synopsis on the back of the box and and seeing the artwork and stuff. And it was an eighteen certificate, so that kind of made it a little bit more. Uh, you know, slightly taboo, slightly, um, you know, uh, almost exciting in a way that, you know, I shouldn't be looking at this, you know. Um, <laughs> so so I knew at that time that, you know, there's no way I was going to, I knew better than to even ask my parents if I'd be allowed to watch this. I knew that was a no-go because I was just a little kid, really. Um, so it really wasn't until some years later that I finally, um, you know, managed to get that VHS tape um, I still wasn't 18, but it was kind of at the point where you're like, well, no one really cares when you're close enough, you know. So that was really my first experience of watching Millennium. But at that time, several years had passed. And so you couldn't really track down the rest of the season anymore. <laughs> you know, the tapes weren't on the shelves anymore. And I don't think they even released the second or third season on VHS. Mm, no. Um but I did get a hold of the um, the X Files Millennium episode, the seventh season <laughs> episode. They they released that on a VHS and they packaged yeah. it with um, Via Dolorosa and Goodbye to All That from Millennium. Oh yeah, I remember that actually. Now you've said it, I'd completely forgotten they did that. But yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of to convince people to that they were getting their money's worth. As they said back <laughs> in the day, when this is how you would watch American television over in England, yeah. uh, you would get two episodes on one tape. And we were happy to have it. You know, it seems crazy yeah. now in the age of streaming and stuff where you just get everything at your fingertips. But um, yeah. yeah, so I had this really weird experience of having seen the first two episodes of Millennium and the very last two episodes <laughs> of Millennium and nothing in between. And it really wasn't until it was released on DVD uh, again several years later that I could experience it properly from beginning to end and, and you know, every episode uh, in broadcast order. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, that you've yeah, that was your experience. It's it, it's funny. We, we've talked a lot on the X Cast about the uh, the VHS thing, a, a little bit on this show as well, uh, about how it was just the age where they came in those two episode packs and things like this. And it's it, it, although the thing is with Millennium, of course, it's not streaming anywhere. Even it's not even on no. Disney Plus, which is you know bizarre. So and the DVDs these days, lots of people keep saying how the DVD box set is 
increasingly rare to get out, and he's out of print and all these kind of things. So it's it really is a bit cult now. This so if you if you've got copies of it in any format, <laughs> cherish them. I think now at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be hard to find. I mean, it's hard to find mm. now, but um, yeah. So if you've got the DVDs, you're you're very lucky, and they're pretty yeah. sore in value. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming you know. Well, well, I, I am. Given you wrote a v- co-wrote a VS5, you know, you've definitely seen more than just four episodes. So what would you say your favourite one of all of them is for the, for the three seasons? Well, I, I could be very boring and slightly predictable and say the pilot because it's <laughs> for my money. I still think it's one of, if not the best, network television pilots that's ever been made. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't really think of a better one, really, that sets the tone uh, and the characters so brilliantly and so quickly and so efficiently and tells such an amazing story in such a short space of time. Mm. Um, and you know, truly scary and harrowing as well. I mean, even yeah. stuff like Hannibal and and you know american horror story it, it never really felt as truly terrifying as that pilot episode of millennium mm. did to me um but but i'm not going to say that i'm actually going to say <laughs> um lamentation uh because that for me is kind of peak millennium mm. um i i felt like that was again truly scary in a way that nothing else really is and yeah. so bold and ambitious and that whole third act where, you know, Lucy's butler is coming to the yellow house while Frank is on the opposite coast and Catherine's finding severed kidneys on a plate in her fridge. And, <laughs> uh, it's just a fantastic, you know, visual sequence of a really pure horror that, that the show hadn't fully done by that point. Mm. And it kind of felt like you know, Chris Carter coming back to the show after sort of leaving it to its own devices for a bit and saying, no, this is what I meant. This is what we can really do. Um, and that sort of really sticks in my mind as a really, um, just everything the show could be. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely put Lamentation up there. That's a great choice. Yeah. I, you won't be the first one to say that. And obviously, you know, it has that final act you know to it which is this is fantastic yeah so yeah really good really good choice they're killing off bob bletcher as well i mean yeah. in those days you just didn't do that i mean now it's kind of a cliche isn't it that the end of the first season kill off a regular <laughs> and we're supposed to be surprised uh, yeah. in fact it's probably even the pilot now people you know you kill off a regular in the yeah, pilot yeah, yeah. And for shock value uh, but in those days it just wasn't you know you didn't really do that i mean i suppose chris carter kind of invented it with with deep throat in, in the x-files mm. season one um, but yeah, and it wasn't even the end of the episode either. It was Act Three. Yeah, you know, Bob yeah, Bletcher yeah. is suddenly hanging from the, the rafters by yeah. his hunting knife slash throat. Um, yeah, really, really bold. Yeah, that, and that you're right. Actually, it was the end of Act Three, wasn't it? And that yeah, that's so uh, you've got a you've got a final act which is dealing with. Uh, it, it, I definitely think Bletcher was a. It, it was a, maybe even more of a shock death than Deep Throat. I think you know, and, and, and Deep Throats is brilliant in the X Files, but it, yeah, it was such a powerful, powerful moment from a powerful episode. So no, it's yeah, it's a great, it's a really good choice. What would you say your favourite season is then? Would it be season one then, given the love of this? <laughs> Probably come as no surprise for me to say uh, yes. I think season one for me is um, the kind of the original conception of the show by Chris Carter. You know that that original vision that was mm. so clear from the beginning. And I think it's it's actually really smart as well, the way it goes along examining um, 
the two sides of of evil and, and asking what is evil you know is it human nature is it um you know psychology and i think frank and Catherine kind of have that discussion in gehenna where you know they're wondering you know does it just come from a weak mind or is there some kind of intangible spiritual biblical force of evil out there mm. um and it kind of lulls you like the the first half of the season i, I think it gets a little bit um unfairly maligned maybe for being serial of the week which which i understand um uh, but even then you've got episodes like the well-worn lock and the wild and the innocent that are the same kind of tone but they're not serial killer per se and and then sort of the second half of the season kicks in and it starts to show you um you know the more biblical um spiritual side of what evil can be and start to really stretch its wings in that respect um and i think that's that's true of lamentation as well it kind of shows you know first you've got Dr. Fabricant, he seems like one of those early season one characters and then tops it with Lucy Butler. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, just a really, um, really great piece of television from, from beginning to end. But I will say, having said that, over the years, I've come to kind of appreciate the diversity of the three seasons, how you can kind of appreciate them more as a triptych painting in a way. Mm. You can appreciate each one on its own merits and feels very different. But when you put them together side by side, because they are kind of reacting against each other in, in certain ways, it kind of takes on this even heightened beauty in a way, if that's not a pretentious way of putting it. No. But, you know, I, can't, I can't really think of any other television show that, that yeah. has done that, by, not by design, but by circumstance. But yeah. it really yeah. does create a kind of wonderful sort of three-piece um, show. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a really nice description. Yeah, and and it's it's something that I think as we've done the time is now, it's definitely come out in a lot of the episodes that the the three seasons do complement each other and they're very different. And it's just uh, the the way art works sometimes in, like you say, happenstance circumstance to create something that you never you'd never been able to have planned with <laughs> in the way they did it in the in you know from the get go. So yeah, it, it's it's great and so yeah it's nice 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 to hear hear some um some season one love again so that's really good what about your favorite character then i mean obviously the you know, the 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 obvious one for most people is frank isn't it but would it, sure, right I'm, I'm guessing it's frank but frank and anyone else well <laughs> yeah i mean i i imagine you've kind of been talked to death of having done this podcast uh, and, and i imagine everyone says frank black um so there's probably nothing left to say on that. So, yeah, I'm going to say um, Lucy Butler, actually, again, to, mm. to surprise you, having everything what we've talked about so far. But, <laughs> yeah, I think she's a really um, just a deliciously malevolent character as brought to yeah. life by Sarah Jane Redmond. And, you know, she can just do that, that little devilish smile. And that's all it takes to kind of communicate her whole character um, and the kind of unknowable quality about her. There's that whole... Jungian anima animus thing going on with the long-haired man mm. um and it's just the way they never really explain her or they don't try too much to give her a big backstory or you know lay it all out for the audience she's just kind of this unknowable character and this kind of force of evil that is just so fascinating and scary as well you know there's nothing quite as scary as that kind of sweet innocent uh lucy butler you know living in her little house with the curtains drawn <laughs> thinking she's kind of a figure of pathos maybe marrying you know a guy on the internet from a prison <laughs> a serial killer 
Um, and then, you know, the reveal of what she really is, is really powerful and really clever, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it really is. And uh, the different kind of episodes that she's in, all with different kind of shades to them, is is a wonderful thing. Uh, so, yeah, she's, she is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and, and we've had a few people have said Lucy Butler, I think. I totally understand. She's such a wonderful, wonderful villain, like you say, not ever fully explained. Yeah, she's great. Finally then, do you have a particular favourite moment? This is a tough one. This is always a tough one to answer. But is there any moment from any episode in Millennium that really stands out to you? Yeah, it, it is really tough because, uh, again, I, I could go back and talk about the things we've already mentioned in, in Lamentation, that mm. whole third act, and, and you know Lucy on the stairs, that imagery of, of, the, of the Legion demon the first time you see it. It's brilliant. Mm. But to, to talk about something different for a change, um, I think... <laughs> Um, there's a moment in The Sound of Snow where Frank goes back to Ezekiel Drive for the first time and he goes back to uh, his yellow house, or that's how he sees it, as, you know, this preternaturally yellow, bathed in sunlight, wonderful vision of his old house. And, and Catherine, who is, of course, dead by this point, uh, she, you know, she mm. comes out of the house, walks down the steps and, and just kind of just walks past him. And then we cut back to reality and the new owner of the house comes out and he's had it painted white. Um, and, he, and he says something like, uh, don't know how you live with the yellow. Uh, Frank, doesn't, <laughs> Frank doesn't need to say anything. He just kind of you know, takes his mail and walks away back to his car. But then he looks back and mm. it's still yellow forever in his mind. And it's all set to the tune of uh, the dark end of the street. And mm. it's just this really beautiful kind of haunting, uh, bittersweet moment. Mm. that's a really nice one actually that's not one i think we've had before on the on this show so the, yeah that that's lovely that's it's that it's a very poignant episode generally isn't it really the sound of snow about looking back to catherine and the house and the life he had so now it's a that's a lovely choice that's a really lovely definitely choice. yeah and that's and obvious that choice kind of as a... well which is really nice <laughs> yeah. but yeah I, I do think the latter half of season three is a bit underrated actually i think there's lots of really great episodes like the sound of snow in there if you're mm. willing to kind of endure slightly through the the rocky period at the beginning you know you do hit a really great patch once chip johannison is show running yeah it never gets any better than antipas for me <laughs> which i'm not even joking about <laughs> as ridiculous as that episode is it is my favorite from season three. Oh, me that... too i love it you know anything <laughs> with lucy and of course you know an, an outright unabashed horror uh, you know brilliant episode yeah, yeah. It's the omen, isn't it? Basically, they basically drew the omen yeah. off. <laughs> Essentially, um, but yeah, no, lovely choice, absolutely. Well, that's great. I think people will be really interested to have heard that from you in the um, the five initiation questions. So, thanks for answering those. And uh, let's let's talk then. Let's talk about VS Five. And um, I suppose we should really just mention the genesis of it at first, shouldn't we? Really, because we we came to this when. I, I, it was me who wanted to do, if I remember rightly, a. Um, and you know what, James? Correct me on any details I get wrong from your memory banks here, because you know. Oh, same. Because <laughs> I'm fully prepared to be misremembering things, or, or you know. So do correct me, definitely. But um, Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky. 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Wait, at, at the time, back in the mid 2000s, I was part of a uh, writing community called Monster Zero Productions. When we used to write scripts um, for all kinds of different franchises, it was heavily Buffyverse at that point because Buffy had just finished and that was all still in the ether. But uh, I did a long-running Alias spin-off show. There were lots of other things floating around. There was some original content as well. Uh, and as anyone, anyone listens to this knows that this is part of We Made This, which is the podcast network I started. I love to start things, James. And then <laughs> the one I'm doing right now la- has lasted so far longer than than the the net the writing network I created at the time um, where VS5 premiered did, which was called Blackster Virtual Community because I'm nothing if not an egotist, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that's where the idea was to make to I think at the time focus on certain things that were maybe a little bit less perky and frothy that they were doing on MZP and maybe be a little bit more Millennium and those kind of shows and that kind of thing. And I remember setting it up and it was very quickly, I think, that you got involved around. Can you remember how can you remember how the, that came to be that you got you, you came to be involved with this show? Well, my recollection of it was actually the the fan site. Um, this is who we are. And yes. it was around about the time, I think, that um, the three seasons had been released on DVD and kind of, you know, so so now I was finally caught up and I could sort of start joining in and discussions and, you know, talk with other fans about the show. And I think it was there that actually I first saw you had kind of put up some kind of notice or something, you know, back in the days yeah. of, if you can remember, message boards. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Because this was all message boards, wasn't it? We were doing this. Yeah. It was all like pro boards and, um, you know, sit, sit, was it simple forums or whatever it was. It was this was pre-social media. <laughs> completely so, yeah, yeah no we, we never had you know um you know video calls or even audio calls no. or anything like that it was all literally just you know text on a message board and yeah. and that was how i remember you know seeing that from you saying you know who thinks you know this would be a good idea who wants to get involved in this sort of thing but but yeah it was absolutely your idea i mean i never would have come up with this on my own i, I don't think i i wouldn't have been so bold um so i'm gonna be <laughs> so egalitarian and lay all the credit and all of the blame perhaps, all the blame for this uh yeah. <laughs> the way feet. i the way i remember it is all the good stuff we ended up doing mostly came from you i was the one who just set it up oh, and then just put oh. it up but um <laughs> It was, it was, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was the This Is Who We Are, um, the website, which is still going wonderfully, and it still sort of keeps a lot of this flame alive with these scripts that are still on there. And God bless that site for still going. I think the guy who runs it is Graham. Um, Graham AKA, Smith, I think, yeah. Graham Smith, a.k.a. the old man. 
wonderful. I haven't had much contact with him or them for a, a long time, really, proper, proper, properly, but I do check in there every now and then. And it's wonderful that it's still going uh, and still keeping the flame alive. And that was that, yeah, I put a post up. I do remember that, yeah, as, as advertising for writers. And there were a few people who got involved through that 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 method. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, you, you were obviously one of them pretty early on. And uh, I think, really, the the reason that... Well, the reason I wanted to do it was because at that point we were on on the MZP space doing lots of, like I say, of these spin-offs. And it was a great fertile period of, of creating these scripts and trying to create you know sequels or spin-offs to shows that we loved and try and match what they were doing in particularly in american tv production um as hobby purely hobbyist stuff you know completely and I, i'd always loved millennium and i, I remember reading uh, virtual season four which as i say we talked to, i talked about with dan owen who's since become um a friend and collaborator on we made this which is wonderful and um and he he, he uh what he did with um, a few of the other guys who he, he, he wrote that with blew me away completely. And I thought, oh, this, it would be great to see what happens next after this, and particularly after the millennium is over, because that all took place right on the millennium. So they wrote that in like 1999. So that happened right. right that was, that was a, what we hopefully would have got, you know, from, from, um, from 1013 had it carried on. So it was really an attempt to get back to where Frank was at that and, and figure out what, well, where would he be like eight years on? Where would he be now the millennium's happened? You know, it's the very simple idea. And we were lucky enough to be in that space that no one in f- proper scripted fan fiction circles had really tried to do this by that point. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun as a place to start from, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we didn't really realize it at the time, but what we were really doing was a kind of revival series for Millennium, which yeah. of course wasn't a thing back then at all. You know, once the show was cancelled, it was it was over and done and never spoke of again. Um, <laughs> but since you know when the X Files came back as a kind of revival event series, you know, in a lot of ways that's kind of what we were doing because time had mm. passed and you know many years had gone by. But uh, obviously at the time we didn't see it like that. We saw it as the fifth season, you know, being respectful of the passage of time, but but wanting it to really be, you know, like it was, um, you know, as if you could kind of get that next DVD box set in the post and, and it'd be, you know, yeah. these 22 episodes, you know, New Millennium. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you're right, actually. I've not really looked at it from that perspective, but I think you're absolutely right. That is what we were doing, really. The intent really was to definitely stay in step with VS4 and stay in step with Canon. I mean, we would have talked about this at the time, but what was what were your thoughts on that virtual four, fourth season at the time? And did you have any particular connection to that work that we were following off? Well, this is where my memory is quite hazy. I mean, I think it was... I'm not sure how much I had read. I think it was at that time when I was starting to kind of dip my toe in and and discover it and read it. Because obviously before then, having not been uh, up to date with the show when it was broadcasting, uh, you know, there was not really much point reading uh, Virtual Season 4 when I hadn't watched, you know, Mm. 2 and 3. So I think it was around about the time I was kind of learning that it existed and, and starting to look into it. And it kind of came about the same time when when you made that post. So I was always a little bit behind, I think, and trying to catch up 
whilst we were developing and I was very much relying on you for the kind of the continuity element of it. I mean, I mean, I certainly, you know, was going back and reading it and I think I may have jumped ahead slightly to the finale. So I was mm. sure of how they left things and then went back and, and picked up some of the ones that I missed along the way. But, but again, I, I'm not sure I remember the exact details of it, except to say that I was certainly aware of it set a very high standard and it was very mm. well received and, and really well done. And uh, I think that was kind of the biggest concern at the time when, when you kind of suggested this was, you know, both of us kind of saying, well, can we live up to that? And, you know, is it, is it something we can do? Is it, you know, can we reach that? There's not much point doing it if we end up being, you know, a pale imitation of it. And, and that was kind of, you know, a little bit of hesitation, I think, certainly on my part. Yeah, well, this was this was definitely there in my mind because I, I, I like I say, I thought VS4 was terrific and what they did was a, a absolutely worthy of, for the most part, of being filmed. You know, you could absolutely have, have made those scripts, I think, with, you know, obvious natural sort of production tweaks. I know that it was re- well received by... Uh, you know, cast and and the er, er, elements of the crew. I mean, Dan talks in the episode about how he, you know, forged a bit of a online relationship with like Erin Mayer and Kay Rendell, and and a great story about how he uh, he and his co-writer got an offer to write a screenplay from a producer in America, and they didn't really take it very seriously. And he's, <laughs> and he's convinced that it was it was for um, the show Freaky Links in the end, um, oh. with which was made by Dan. Uh, uh, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez just before so around the point of the Blair Witch Project so he's, he kicks himself now <laughs> because he thinks well, I could have I could have been working with like could have America. been me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but uh, so you know that that gained a, a level of of traction um it, it probably realistically in a way that VS5 didn't in fairness which is I'm there's no bitterness on my part in any way about that at all I think that really that was that was following on it was at a point where there was there was, there was no engine for any creating anything like this you know the, the th- those scripts are still in wordpad essentially format you know we we at least tried to update it and have them in pdfs you know and and be able to put them online and have discussion boards and all that kind of thing and it was very different for them back then because that that the discussion board stuff was there but it just wasn't done in the same kind of way there wasn't the the, the same kind of setup um that we potentially had to start with it but it it, it was on my mind about whether we could live up to it. And I think I, I I was even more in my, how old would I have been then? 25. I was even more full of hubris. <laughs> I think, I don't know if I'd be, I'd be able to do it now. I really don't. <laughs> I'd be a bit more like, how do we follow on from this? Because it was really yeah, good. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It seemed crazy, didn't it? To even mm. sort of attempt it. Um, but we were really kind of doing it for ourselves, really. Yeah. And for the love That's of true. it. You know, we didn't have any kind of uh, you know great goals or aspirations in mind and we knew that you know obviously when virtual season four were, was going it was you know they were very deliberately trying to finish the show and get it to the year 2000 get frank black into the new millennium mm. and so obviously enough time had passed that there was no there was nothing like that for us it was just really you know hungry for more millennium content and if there yeah. wasn't going to be any more episodes then we'd have to write them ourselves <laughs> well i mean let's um Without, without going into obviously too much personal detail for you necessarily, what 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 got you into this really in terms of your background as a writer, and why did why did you want to 
to get involved in this project in the first place? Is there anything specific? And, and obviously, you you then went on and did another um, virtual season um, called Abyss, which was very Millennium. Style, oh God, that's true. <laughs> which was I'd forgotten um, about that. How could you forget that, James? It was so good. It was like I think you did one season of that. And it was wonderful. It was the darkest, one of the darkest things I've ever read, and it was it would have been an amazing TV show. Um, it was it was ahead of its time. They would they would make it this in this day and age. They really would. Well, it was I, so I don't good. Know about that. I, I think it was very much a kind of you know having done Millennium, um, you know what can I do similar kind of space, you know, something like Millennium but not called Millennium. And uh, you know I I, I I think the show came on about the same time called The Forgotten or something, which right. seemed to have a similar premise or the same premise that I didn't. I don't really remember watching, but uh, yeah, again, my, my memory fails me about that. <laughs> it was great, though. It was really good. So what, what drew you to this and what made you want to write mm. this stuff? Well, at, at the time, I was a student at university uh, doing mm. an English literature degree, uh, insert laugh track. Um, and so <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, I was playing around with kind of, you know, aspirations of, of writing. And I think there were some kind of groups there that were very sort of sixth form poetry kind you know writing kind of classes and stuff like that mm. and that was you know not really for me um and i was i was always much more interested in screenwriting and um i didn't really know whether i would you know dabble with some short films or something like that you know as you do when you're a student and with, with big <laughs> ideas um but i had final draft and i was kind of tinkering around with you know what to write and it kind of hit the perfect time really when when you had this idea to do millennium um because it was like oh perfect i can you know i can write millennium and it can be kind of a practice thing or we can see where it goes and and the fact that it was kind of in a collaborative environment and that even if it was only you and i there would at least be someone else reading the thing at the end of it rather than Mm. just kind of you know writing on your own putting it in a drawer and, and you know being too scared to put it out into the world <laughs> um so it was kind of the confluence of those two things and again the fact that the uh, millennium had just released all three seasons on dvd and it was kind of that hunger for more material and and again you know if no one else was going to write them then you know why, why not us but i, I think yeah. it was a case of having seen that you were you know, going to do this I kind of felt like, oh, well, I want to get in on that. I want to be in on the ground floor rather than kind of looking back at VS4 and seeing how great that was. But, you know, it's kind of all over and you couldn't be a part of that anymore, obviously. Um, so it's kind of like if somebody's going to do some more, then, then yeah, that's something I'd want to be involved in. Mm. Yeah, and, and it was great. I mean, I think we then set about trying to figure out how this all began. I, I do remember all of the... Uh, all of the message boards sort of planning. We used to have backstage forums and things like that where we just exchange messages and plan all these things and come up with ideas. It was a great period. You know, in many ways, I really miss that. In, in, in that, even though I've, I've, you know, I don't really write screenplays. I haven't really written a screenplay in years now, and I've moved on to writing, you know, books in terms of nonfiction stuff and doing all the podcasting and that kind of thing. I do miss sometimes the process of of collaborating on ideas and coming up with stories and it was it was it was a bit i mean you 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 might know more than this than than me but it it did feel like a a writer's room environment sometimes back then it was it was really fertile and it was it was so much fun getting your head into this world i thought 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think it was, it was certainly great fun kind of um, collaborating and exchanging ideas, like you say, and, you know, good practice for, for any kind of writing as well. And, mm. and yeah, kind of bringing people together and having to, um, you know, there's a sort of administrative element to it as well, isn't there, kind of organising yeah. how, you know, how to corral all these people into creating a, a single work. Um, but yeah, as much as it could be hard work at times, and we did kind of push ourselves and, and take it very seriously, certainly in my case, probably too seriously at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was good fun. Yeah. And we did. We did take it seriously. We did want we did try and create something, I think, that was that we were proud of and that people would fans of the show would want to read. And even people who didn't necessarily know the show inside out would be able to take on because that that was what I got from when we came up with the begotten, which was the two part opener. I think we wanted, and you know, you hit, you hit on this earlier when you said about a revival. We kind of, we knew we wanted to keep VS4 as canon, and there were aspects of VS4 that would maybe bleed in over. But we really did start from the beginning again, in a way, and we didn't we didn't necessarily follow on from those stories because you know the end of VS4 could have served as a perfect a, fi- a perfectly fine ending for the show. In many ways, you could have you could have finished it there, and no, you didn't have to do any more. So we really sort of approached that story, I think, from first principles, didn't we, really? To start again, not, you know, make it accessible for new readers. But to be fair, we were writing this for Millennium fans. But make it the, you know, that start point, which is a good way back into Frank's life, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it came from trying to answer those questions about, you know, why now? Why is Millennium still Mm. relevant after all this time? And, you know is there a role for Frank Black? Is there story left to tell? And I think really kind of answering all those questions, which is what I think we did between you and I at the time, we Mm. kind of spent some time before we were actually going to write an episode, we kind of batted around, you know, trying to come up with a justification for it, essentially. Uh, And really a lot of the answers to those questions that we came up with ended up dictating the story in a strange way, because... Mm. Um, it was kind of born out of how can we craft a a story that would logically bring Frank back into this world of millennial strife and, and darkness when when in you know being true to his character you'd think after everything he'd been through after the year 2000 he would just be like in happy retirement locked away with Jordan and you know <laughs> never again thank you very much mm. um, so so really we had to come up with a convincing way to justify our own existence really and i think i think we have to hold our hands up a little bit we ended up doing the the jordan is kidnapped story to kick <laughs> us off which you know we, I we know fridged kind of... jordan didn't we early on <laughs> yeah i mean i know it's kind of a, a trope and a cliche and the kind of there's an inevitability to it, a bit like when Catherine was, you know, kidnapped at the end of season one. It's like mm. sooner or later this is going to happen. Uh, I, to be fair to us, I don't. I think we would. We were aware of that at the time, and we knew we couldn't play that card again. It wasn't like we were going to have, you know, Jordan in peril every single week and reduce no. her to this damsel in distress, which is of course not good. But we kind of needed that in the first episode because. Like we said, you know, otherwise Frank just wouldn't get involved. He wouldn't be mm. interested unless the danger came to his doorstep and to his daughter. Um, so that, again, that kind of ended up informing the the first two episodes, really, like kind of at least two-parter. Yeah. A two-parter that I think very much we wanted to, we did want to invoke 
the the first season and i think i think really this this season and i, I would say this is heavily in many ways your influence because i think had it just been me i think i would have gone into and i love it don't get me wrong this is not a criticism but i would have gone into wacky doodle morgan and wong territory very fast like in see <laughs> you know i would have um and I'd, I'd have probably turned it into one big Dan Brown romp, whereas you managed to keep it grounded and keep the balance. And I, th- I think we managed to balance a lot of the composite elements, particularly seasons one and two in this, and, you know, elements of three, without, without shadow of a doubt, that esoterica in this season really quite well. And I think The Begotten sets that up in that it, it does reflect elements of that the, the the pilot and the going back to the idea of the of the kidnapper the serial killer the, the raincoat man in this case the threat to frank's family just getting back to that existential darkness that drags him back in and i th- i think it was i think it was a good route to do it because it's a recognizable way to bring frank back into that story while also introducing all the new elements you know the the younger partner the the FBI character, so you get have that aspect of the world, the um the the new the new love interest in the in the psychologist that's helping him Miranda, um and then of course the big one that I that I couldn't help but do, which was bring back mm-hmm. Peter Watts, <laughs> which I just <laughs> I just I just couldn't help it because I love Terry Quinn that much. Um, me, me too, absolutely. But I do think that was our biggest creative risk that we took in the whole thing, really. And I think that was the only time that we really not disagreed exactly, but I think that was the point where we had to have a longer conversation. That because I think most of most of our work together was, you know, maybe this is just me with raised to the spectacles, but it came together fairly easily. I think. Yeah, and, no, and did. we didn't really have any major disagreements on direction or tone or anything but i think with peter i think that the danger there was that we we never wanted to be too fan fictiony if you know for want of a better term mm, mm. Um, we didn't want to stray into you know let's bring back all the dead characters and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and i think also uh, because we were always saying we want to be respectful to the vs4 and treat it as canon and all that kind of stuff and they actually had a funeral for peter if i remember correctly and very much treated him as, uh, you know, dead and gone. Mm. Um, so, again, we also didn't want to kind of disrespect the direction they'd taken. Um, but having said that, because several years had passed, it almost made it work a bit more than it probably would have done if we'd have been doing this in 2001. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of... Even in VS4, you never saw a body, so it's kind of fair game. <laughs> and, and like you, I, I love Peter Watts and Terry O'Quinn. And it, I, it just came down to, you know, is it going to be more fun having him around or, or less fun? And, of course, it was more fun. Yeah, and you're right. It was a risk. And I think it was it was something that I probably should talk myself out of, really. But I, 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 I never liked, I, I never really liked the way that Peter was dealt with at the end of that third season. And I always felt like there, that character should have had a different story to him or a, a different end. And, and, you know, it, 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 there are various different stalls, to, you know, schools of thought with this. And a lot of people would, would probably not have made that decision. But it was great to be able to write him again and get that try and get that dynamic back with Frank, and and, and, yeah. and it, but it, but it was the most like you say, 
openly fan fiction baiting thing <laughs> that we did with VS5, to be it fair. It kind of was. But to be fair to us, we did spend a lot of time and energy kind of justifying this in the story world and, you know, in the in the dialogue and the exposition and, and building... Again, we really built those first two episodes around this idea. And we, it's not like we just had him, you know, show up out of the blue and say... Hey, Peter, I thought you were dead. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and yeah. then carry on. You know, we didn't just do that. Um, so I, at least we kind of tried to make it organic to the story and build the story around something that would mm. make sense within the world of Millennium. And um, I don't know if we did, I don't know if we pulled it off or if we didn't do too bad a job, but, um, but it was certainly good to be writing Frank and Peter together. Yeah, no, it was. And, and I, I was I was pretty pleased with the original characters we came up with. I thought I thought they did work well. I thought the the character of Locke. And you know, we we tried to imagine um, back then. We we used to sort of what we call virtual casting. So we tried to imagine the actors who would play these parts, and we tried to cast it essentially. And uh, and on the um, this is who we are dot net list of episodes, you do see that casting. You see the guest stars. You see the kind of people we imagine in these roles, and that's part of the fun. And we had James Badgedale at the time for Brad Lock, who was at that time in 24, uh, opposite, I think, season three of 24, something like that. I yeah, think. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as the hothead young agent. So, you know, we borrowed a little bit from that. And um, yeah. I, I, t- I totally shamelessly stole from Alias because we had Patricia Wettig play Miranda. And that was a shameless you know, steal from Alias, to be fair. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I was doing all these terrible sort of, let's borrow from this, let's borrow from that things, <laughs> quite unashamedly. <laughs> but I still think they were good characters, and I think, I think they did work. I think it was nice to give Frank a younger partner who he could bounce off, again, in a different way to, to his relationship with Emma Hollis. Uh, and, you know, I think we probably debated the Miranda storyline quite a bit, didn't we? Because it was... That too, I guess, was a risk having him find love again with somebody else after Catherine, because it's almost like she was so sacred to him as a partner right. to actually try and bring someone else in was a bit of a risk. But I quite liked that relationship, really, and what we did there. Yeah, I think it, it was a risk, but I think it gave us something else to play besides the usual kind of, you know, the, the staple stuff of Millennium, you know, the, the crime scenes and, the, and all that kind of stuff. It was good for Frank to have another grown-up to, to talk to that wasn't just kind of, you know, looking at crime scene photos and stuff like that. And <laughs> again, if we had been doing this in 2001, I don't think it would have worked and we probably wouldn't have tried it either. Mm. It just felt like, because I think about seven years had passed at this point, it felt like Frank could contemplate at least maybe finding you know even if it's not the great love of his life which i think Catherine definitely was if there's mm. some kind of companionship for him and i think we kind of play that into the character as well and kind of had jordan work as a sort of matchmaker kind of you know she was she was a teenager and she was going off to college soon she was kind of like you know worried about leaving her old dad alone that kind of mm. thing and was kind of giving him a nudge into um you know dipping his toe into whether it's romance or whatever you want to call it between them um but she did kind of start out as his therapist didn't she and i yeah i think or at least i hope we kind of <laughs> approach the uh how problematic that kind of relationship can be and I, I think we did get them to a point where they stopped seeing each other professionally so that they could see each other personally mm-hmm. um but yeah there was a there was a tricky balancing act that I, I don't know if 
people warmed to her or not or, or if she entirely worked and i don't think we overplayed her either she wasn't no. really in that much uh, it was just good to have give frank a kind of an emotional you know character stuff to to do rather than just you know solve the crimes yeah yeah i think that was that was the idea behind it really i i when i when i when i look back on it and i i, I think about it i mean my 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 involvement really kind of came to a close around eight or nine episodes into it in that i i worked on the beginning of it and i wrote um a few different episodes things like the eye of the needle which was uh, about a severed head that goes up on an ebay auction site so it had frank and luck investigating uh the, the the new world of the internet and eBay and that kind of thing at the time and how that was taking off, which I quite enjoyed. It's probably quite quaint now. <laughs> back, right? um, and um, I wrote a script called Lacite, which was uh, about the Millennium Group trying to undermine the the US space program, and then and then a very much a very Peter Watt centered. My last one was a Peter Watt centered episode, which sort of explained what happened to him and, and 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 lots of things like that so and that was kind of where I, I i sort of left it to you at that point and you steered the rest of the season and worked with various of the different writers um and what do you, do you feel at that point it changed were you able to shape it into something you'd created originally do you think that the direction altered in any way what what can you remember from that point onwards well as as far as i can recall i don't think anything really changed that substantially it was because uh, we kind of planned out what we were going to do and we we talked about our direction a lot and we'd kind mm. of we kind of boarded out some broad strokes of episodes that were coming up anyway so I think it was really more a case of just following through with with what we'd started and what we talked about. I don't remember ever, ever kind of thinking, you know, big handbrake turn, you know, now, mm. now we start going in a different direction. Um, I think it was just a case of, you know, plowing on with the next script, really, because we had so much uh, to do and so few writers, really, um, as we went on, you know, the people dropped away or you know were very enthusiastic to begin with but became apparent they weren't necessarily interested in the writing part as much as they were the kind of ideas Mm. part um so we were kind of up against it in a way and and the bit i suppose the biggest thing was that we have one less writer now without you (laughs) so so thanks very much yeah sorry about Um, that (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah i think it just kind of basically went on business as usual really um as far as i can remember yeah and and I, I, there were i mean you wrote a, a, a lot of the scripts subsequently i think you wrote probably i'd say half of the rest of that season getting on for that really and you tended to you you, you obviously handled what we call the mythology episodes i guess but you you also dabbled in a few original specific ideas yourself you know things that weren't uh you did a, a powerful one about catholic sex abuse um, that was a, a luck story and, and, and those kind of things. And then you had some of the other writers. I mean, a great writer at the time was a guy called Angelo Shrine, who yes. wrote some fabulous shows for uh, MZP. He he had an incredible mind. I've, I've lost kind of lost touch with him now, but he had a hell of a mind. It was really unique. And he wrote some wonderful episodes, a couple of maybe two or three great episodes of this show, um, particularly one called Partruition, which was episode nine, I think, which was just fantastic. And And so... There, were, there was a good little cadre of, of writers, I think, around doing putting some really interesting Millennium episodes out there. That, again, I think they were a real balance of 
all three seasons sort of put together in the pot, really. Definitely, yeah. And I think Angelo coming in particularly was just a godsend because, like you said, he was he was brilliant. You know, mm. really talented writer and a really nice guy as well. You know, mm. you could just talk to and he was. You know, just a delight to work with and and the great thing about angelo was that he was a writer first i think i mean he was as big a millennium fan as we were for mm. sure um but he had already written his own kind of web series i think called wiki with chi or, or yeah. something like that Wiki, yeah um, brilliant that was yeah yeah so and one called shackles coming... as well which right. was very very millennium mean it was fantastically thought out yeah incredible show yeah, so he was really coming in as a writer already. He was also a Millennium fan, whereas up to that point, I think we had more had Millennium fans who were maybe dabbling in writing. Mm. Um, and Angelo was just... Uh, I, I remember he only... I think he only signed up to do that one episode at first. And then it was just kind of a case of me begging him to do more. Please <laughs> please do us another one and another one. And I think he ended up doing... I, I think it's called Dryden Ender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the second one he did was kind of... The, well, the first one he he was based on a log line that we had sort of on the board from from someone who had contributed some ideas, and Angelo just kind of took that and made it his own and wrote mm. the script. And then the next one was really just giving him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted, you know, any anything he could come up with, uh, just put it in there. And it was absolutely, mm. you know, he has such a distinctive voice yeah. and style. And uh, you know that episode, uh, episode twelve, I think. Um, just you know completely him and and was brilliant mm. and fantastic and again it was a case of once that's done it's like begging him please please do another one <laughs> uh, and, and again i think he did take on another log line that we had that was literally just a sentence and then just took mm. it and again made it completely his own and I, even at that point i was still uh, pleading with him to, to do us some more but yeah you know, to his great <laughs> credit he'd already done above and beyond what he'd promised at the beginning yeah. um so so if it hadn't have been for him i, I don't know if we'd have even finished the season Mm, yeah, yeah, he, he did. He did some fantastic, fantastic stuff. You, of course, did a uh, a, a, a resolution for the Lucy Butler Legion uh, storyline with one and many, which was a really operatic way of bringing it all together. So you know, Lucy Butler, Lucas Sanderson, the the long haired man. I, I, I have vivid memories of it all taking place in a church at the very end, <laughs> and it, it's really, it's really heightened it's fantastic i mean i i thought it was really vivid and and incredibly incredibly as the operatic way of ending the loot well, ending as such but you know bringing to a conclusion within our framework of the lucy butler story you must have had fun writing that one particularly i definitely had the most fun i think writing that one i was looking forward to doing it the whole time i kind of mm. held it back as a treat to myself to, you know, <laughs> if we can get through this stuff and then and you know all these other episodes and get them up on the website on time i get to write the lucy butler episode yeah and i probably laid it on with a trowel you know trying to cram <laughs> everything in there all the images you know all the Why ideas not? you know and yeah. It, yeah it kind of wanted to be you know an epic sort of grand finale to you know, because in, in our mind, that was the last time we were ever going to see Lucy yeah. on screen. Uh, well, not on screen, in script. Um, yeah. And it was just, you know, wanting to shove everything in there and also parallel that with Lucas Sanderson, who we met as a younger character in Saturn Dreaming of Mercury, mm. I think. Um, and, you know, it was interesting to see he's kind of the nemesis to Jordan as Lucy is to Frank. And what would he be like as an older character? Um so yeah, it probably it probably is wildly over the top and ridiculous, <laughs> but kind of in the spirit of Antipas, like you said uh, mm. earlier, 
um, you know, just just really going for it. And then, you know, may, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it, it's it's not not for want of trying. And it's certainly a great deal of fun. Yeah, it was great. It was great. A very good compliment to Antipas. And, and, you know, just why not have fun at that point? It was yeah, it was it was terrific. And I suppose the, the you know, speaking of endings, I mean, you know, the Lucy Butler story in a way never ends. And in a way does Millennium because we wrote, I mean, the, the final episode you wrote was called Resolution, which was the 20th episode of season five. And we never, How on we the never, notes can you be? <laughs> but we never, that's the thing. It's, it's easy to forget that we never approached this as a multi-season thing. You know, we never said, oh, okay, let's do, you know, carry it on. This was one. This was always just one return. It's ironic now in that thinking that people would probably approach one of these things. And think, oh, let's write another five years. Let's go. Kind of, well, <laughs> no, we we were we just came back to do one. And 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 so yeah, I, I guess you must have gone into writing the last two episodes, which was a big two-parter, with the thought process of this being the last ever episode of Millennium. Really, I guess. Yeah, like like you say, we really approached it as a one and done kind of deal from the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, it was. It was such a huge undertaking, really. It may not seem like it, you know, just a bunch of scripts on the internet, but if it, you know, it's such hard work, really, just to yeah. get to the end. And I think we wanted to do 22 episodes originally, yeah. you know, like to stay in line with every other season of Millennium. And we were just kind of, we were out of writers at that point. And I was, you know, at capacity, completely burnt out. And it was like, we just can't, we can't get to 22, unfortunately. I remember being really disappointed about that at the time. You know, in mm. hindsight, who cares? What difference does it make? Um, <laughs> but at the time, it was like felt like a little bit of a failure not to not to get that far. Um, so there was never any um, never any question in our mind that we would do another season of all this. After having done all that, no. there was no way. Um, no. So we definitely approached that as the series finale to Millennium and to not so much wrap up all the plot threads, but to give a kind of emotional closure to Frank and to take him to a place where he's more at peace, maybe. Um, and I kind of, as much as I've forgotten almost the entirety of, of well, the whole season, really, but I do remember the kind of last line, I think, the last little exchange between Frank and Jordan when they're moving into a new house uh, with Miranda I think mm, um, mm. and it's kind of you know echoing the first scene of the pilot really or after the teaser anyway and um, Jordan says something like um, it's not yellow and Frank says uh, no it's not yellow it doesn't have to be and that mm. felt like a kind of a nice place to sum up that the idea that you know throughout the series Frank has been doing this thing about painting away the darkness and you know the symbolism of the yellow house and and all the and you know telling Catherine to make believe that he can you know make all these bad people go away mm. and which is kind of a futile struggle isn't it really this kind of quixotic quest for him <laughs> um and i think we were kind of taking him to the point of realizing now that you know he can't paint away the darkness and that's kind of okay mm. he can learn to live with it or, or something along those lines again i don't know if it really worked uh, you know uh, you be the judge but um <laughs> uh, you know it felt like a nice place to leave him and, and give a sense of resolution to his character yeah i thought it was very poetic definitely you know and the way you described it, it's really nice and it, it, it that's kind of what you want from an ending from a show like this i mean we talk on the x-cast a lot about how the x-files will never have an ending in a way because it's very right. difficult to end that show. And, and you know, my struggle for very much proved that, that, you know, you can't, you know, that's not really a, a satisfying ending, but it would be hard to find one really. And I think 
with Millennium, it's a similar idea in that, you know, there are there are definitely plans afoot for a virtual season six. Not me. I, I know about them and I know the guy who's, yeah, really? who's Oh yeah, yeah. Um I know the guy who is uh putting this together and I don't want to say who he is or say too much at this stage just in case it's not common knowledge. Um but I've seen some of the ideas uh and it's wonderfully it's very different from what we did. But I think the intention is to keep VS five as canon again and then and for that for him and that team to do what we did essentially and to pick up pick it up again and re and get back to frank who at this point if it's set you know circa 2021 2022 he's getting on in years <laughs> this is you know this is the star trek picard version of frank really <laughs> and and picking up on this and seeing where he is and um particularly you know as we we record this we're like about three weeks away from millennium's 25th anniversary which we're going to be on the, the time is now before we um, sail off. You know, we get in the red jeep and we sail off into the sunset for good. In a couple of months, um, we're going to be honouring a little bit. But uh, I think the idea is for Virtual Season Six to pick up after, you know, the point of this sort of anniversary. Um, and I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing what they do and seeing whether they can craft a new beginning for Frank and take what we and VS4 did. Uh, hopefully, honour that a little bit. And um, I, I, I just want to read. You know, I want to be a reader, and I want to see what, what happens. What, how, how do they, how do they begin Millennium again now? I mean, do you, do you think it's a, it would be a fertile time to have Frank back and and do this again? Well, yeah. Why, why not? No, that that's really interesting. And um, again, it's exactly the challenge we faced at the time. And one of the beautiful things about Millennium is that you know each individual season has its own creative team and its own authorial voice and you know that was true of, of us in, in relation to vs4 and i think again we were probably reacting against that in a way and just in terms of not wanting to repeat it so if you know if someone else is coming along and, and again probably reacting against us in just the same way it's kind of you know has this timeless quality doesn't it and i, I think really mm. as long as frank black is alive uh, there will be story to tell with him so now i certainly wish them the best of luck and, and look forward to seeing what comes of it yeah, it's going to be exciting. Thinking back to it, there, there are. I think there have been some scripts written and things like this. It's whether or not, you know, quite when it will come out, I'm not quite sure. And I think there might even be ideas for a seventh, a VS seven as well. So they might be actually doing. Oh wow! Just one. <laughs> um, but you know, if if it comes off, I really hope. I really hope so. I really hope it does. And you know, I, I would say that the very best of luck to them. And you know, if we we might well at that point revisit the time is now as a podcast and, and try and do a little bit around that hopefully um if that if that comes off so i i really hope it does and i i'm looking forward to sort of being a bit of a um a chris carter in a way and just being sort of executive consultant involved <laughs> if they'll let me just get you know coming up with some you know thoughts and things like that hopefully um but, yeah, uh, well, fingers crossed. And I hope it goes well. Uh, it really is so much hard work to do something like that. So yeah. I have to salute anyone who would who would take on that endeavour. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Before we go, I actually did put a little bit out on. Uh, we've got a Facebook group, the Yellow House, where we uh, where listeners uh, gather, and I did put a little bit of a call out and see if anyone um, remembered what we did. And um, we had a few. We had a few. And there were tumbleweeds. <laughs> And then we had one person. No, um, <laughs> we did have a couple of comments, um, which were really nice. I'm going to read them out. 
Um, so thank you to any of you who have read this, read it or, or have uh, engaged with it. But um, Gabriel Ricard said, I remember this. I'd just become a fan of the show at this point. So it came along at a really crucial point in my relationship to the show. Um, he admits he hasn't quite finished it, but he hopes to get back to it one day. That's okay, Gabriel. We're just glad you read it. <laughs> at some point yeah, you did. Well, um, I'm amazed. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, we've got a lovely comment from um, Liam Shane Coughlin, who's a wonderfully descriptive uh, writer, and he talk, he often comments on Xcast and and Tommy's Now stuff. But he um, he said this a fa- about VS5. A fascinating caveat of the Millennium story: the virtual fifth season took several bold and unexpected narrative decisions that retrospectively tied together some of the more fantastical elements of the seventh season X-Files episode Millennium, uh, in brackets, Peter Watts' sort of somewhat resurrection. Yeah, that, sorry, as we've said, that's my that's on me. Uh, <laughs> it's not James. Um, with the inevitable grounded antagonism that would come with Hollis's struggle to balance her, balance the rich clash of ideology between her friends and the group. Less a sequel to the original show and more a retooling of several of the basic narrative impetus of the core idea of the setup it stands as a furiously entertaining epilogue to the story of frank black one i would urge millennium fans to seek out and enjoy i wonder if the themes explored by the authors have number one aged as they would have expected in step with the modern world and number two would the journeys that the characters go on have potentially been retooled in a 2021 climate and he says come on chaps a six episode event series with podcast table reads Sponsored by We Made This, you know it makes sense. Well, you know, never say never, Liam. <laughs> but uh, we'll ju- I'll just wow. call up Lance, get him on the phone. Um, <laughs> but what do you think of these questions? I mean, do you think some of these ideas from what we can remember have aged well? And would would this have been approached in a different I, I guess this probably answer is yes. But would this have been approached in a different way had we written these stories now, you know, some 15 years on? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much, Liam. That's really far too generous, I think, of an assessment of what we did. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad that someone was will be prepared to um, sing our praises more than we deserve, I'm sure, um, except for Tony and Angelo. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think if we were doing it now, um, yeah, I think it almost certainly would be a more of a revival series along the lines of the x-files and it would probably be much shorter you know that kind of six episode run that would be much Mm. more manageable really than than what we tried to do and it would probably be something more like mayor of east town or true detective uh, with frank black i think it would probably you know ditch a lot of the millennium group trappings and mythology and, and and not be too complicated it would probably be that kind of more serialized sort of one story about you know maybe one small town in, in you know outside seattle or something where where frank is called upon to uh, you know investigate some sort of disappearance or murder or something like that in line with those shows and i think it really would be a very different experience really um i think you would probably lose the variety that millennium had which is a sad thing in some ways um that's one of the things i always liked about um you know all the 1013 shows really that it could have not so much of the elasticity of tone as the x-files have but millennium certainly had lots of different types of episodes um i think today that wouldn't really be the same it would probably be much more focused and um a short-term story but again that would be much easier to write uh you know if it was if it was you and i for example we 
we could do three each quite much more easily than we did try to do 20 uh, way back when. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, no, they don't even do that in actual TV production anymore. <laughs> you know, they t- most of the time, they just do shorter seasons now. Um, so, yeah, there's no, no way. You'd have to be crazy. It's just impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we definitely wouldn't do that now. Um, so, but yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's you're absolutely right. I think something in line with you know, and if if Millennium did ever come, but not that I honestly, I don't ever think it will. But if it ever did come back on te- on TV, I think it would be hopefully more in line with with that kind of modern aesthetic of of crime and detective show. Uh, and so, I'd I'd love to see it through that prism, really. But um, but yeah, it, thank you, Liam, for that comment. Absolutely, and um, to any of you who've who've list, who've read these, you know, anyone listening who has read them in the past, thank you so much. Anyone who goes off and reads them now, thank you so much. Um, if you're wondering where to find them, the best place to find these scripts now is at Millennium This Is Who We Are net. Which, if you don't know that site, get on there anyway because it's the best Millennium site on web. Uh, and we've got our virtual season on there. Virtual season four is on there. And I do recommend reading them in order, even though we don't pick up on all of the VS4 stuff. We definitely try and honor it. So I would encourage you to go back to episode 401 and read on from there and then jump onto our stuff. So um, you can find it there. And I hope you do. And because uh, I'm, I'm still very proud of it. And uh, I'm sure you are, James. And it's, it's, it's great that it's still there. It's still going and people can still read it. So, yeah, thank you to anyone who does. So yeah, that's basically it, really. I think we've covered we've covered this. It's been really great to stroll down memory lane about this with you. So thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me about it. It's been great. Absolutely, thank you for having me. And yeah, it was, it was great fun to kind of reminisce about about those days that are largely forgotten. But um, yeah. yeah, we we did have a, a good time doing it. So so yeah, thank you. We did the days of myth now <laughs> in the distant past. But yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, thanks so much. So where what 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 are you up to? What are you up to now? And where if is there anywhere on social media people can find you if they want to track what you do if they read this stuff? Well, I I do have uh, an old Twitter account which is <laughs> um, at James Jordan five five five, but I really don't use it anymore at all. So um, I I don't think you would really track me down there. But I, I'll be in a, a cabin in the mountains somewhere <laughs> uh, waiting for the end of days. That's probably the best place to be in this day and age, <laughs> just generally. So yeah, good for you, good for you. Um, but yeah, thank you again. It's it's been great, and um, thanks to everyone for joining us once again um, for another episode of uh, of We Made This. You want to find me? I'm at AJ Black Writer on Twitter, and um, just check out the uh, broader We Made This Network at WMT underscore Network on Twitter um, for all that's going on over there. Um, we're part of that podcast network we made this please subscribe to the time is now and give us a five star rating and review on apple Podcasts because it will help the show get even more listeners than it already has Uh, and if you do want to help our network a little bit more please consider supporting us on patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this however millennium is not all we're discussing on the network so we'll give you a little taste of what else you might have missed on we made this in a minute but but we'll be back soon for um the beginning of our 25th anniversary celebrations of millennium uh, and kurt will be doing some more special episodes there but uh i'll be back on with kurt at some point soon and until then remember as always this is who we are elsewhere and we made this podcast 616 
a Marvel Universe podcast. I definitely noticed that they weren't the actual voice actors. Uh, it didn't bother me. It didn't feel strange or anything. I mean, we as viewers have become so accustomed to seeing, you know, Chris Pratt as Star Lord or Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa or Dave Bautista as Drax that in these instances when we hear their voices and they don't necessarily match it's like oh wait a second you know, that's not the right person but you know stepping outside of it for a moment you know these are comic book characters where we're introducing the multiverse right and now we are introducing all of these um, tangents of stories that can go in any different kind of direction so they don't need to be the same actor. They don't need to be the same voice one-to-one, in my mind. And as a fan, mm. I can accept this. I'm okay with that. The Movie Palace Podcast. Yeah, it's true, though. Somebody you found yourself drawn to over the years. Have you watched like a lot of his films? So uh, just in terms of like French New Wave, I think I've seen more Jean-Luc Godard than I've seen Francois Truffaut, but I really do love Francois Truffaut. I love his attention to um, realism and to small aspects of people's lives, and I love his stories and how character-driven they are. I've seen like Shoot the Piano Player, Jules and Jim, which isn't one of my favorites, but I'm trying to appreciate it more. Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast. Craig Charles looks f***ing cool as Sebastian Doyle. <laughs> I love to look that cool. Oh, that <laughs> Craig Charles tends to look cool all of the time, though. Well, true, but he looks more sophisticated cool than Rocker yeah. Dude with yeah. a band cool. And I'm getting yeah. old, I want to look sophisticated cool rather than Rocker Dude cool. <laughs> Craig Charles apparently said that you know it's um, it was great to be able to play this version of Lister because that's more like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm the, I'm the cool yes. guy. <laughs> uh, which I thought was great. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. Time is now a Millennium podcast was created by Tony Black and is produced by Tony Black and Kurt North. We can be found on Twitter at The Time Is Now Pod or by searching Facebook for The Time Is Now. We are part of the We Made This Podcast Network, which can be found on Twitter at We Made This Pod or on the website WeMadeThisPod.com. For bonus material and exclusives, check out our sister show, The Xcast and X Files Podcast, where you can find our Patreon. This is who we are.